0: Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Cherit, and I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 1.18 a.m. I started recording it on the couch at like 9 p.m., but I had to come into my office for the nice microphone, and it took me that long to get here. Anyway, I want to apologize uh, for some tech issues we've had recently. Last week, the recording of our service crashed. That's where I you know, get all the different tracks separately and that's how I make the podcast. No big deal, I can just use the live stream as a backup. Of course, the live stream just didn't work for some reason, I hit go, but it didn't go. This week, obviously the recording worked, but I was having the same issue with live stream and the thing is, there's like nothing to troubleshoot. I just hook up the cables, I notice I have a signal, and I hit the button. So, like 10 or 15 minutes into service, I realized it wasn't working, I rebooted it, and then it was working, but when it boots up, the audio doesn't come on automatically and I didn't turn it on <sighs> technology. Anyway, sorry, things have been a little frustrating on the tech front the last two weeks, but hey, we are here. We are doing the podcast this week and that is awesome. A couple quick announcements. We've got two really cool things coming up in May. On the 6th, we are doing a beach day and starting the 7th, we have a group studying Philippians and St. Pete. And we would love for you to attend both of those. Go to diff.church and click on events to go to the beach day and click on groups to sign up for the Philippians group. All right. um, Last but not least, I guess I just want to say thanks to everybody who made it to service today. Um, I made a joke during um, the welcome that like our target audience is kind of like people who have been hurt by the church before. Oh, excuse me, or uh, people who have a bone to pick with church. And uh, I'm never sure how those people are going to react to like a Christmas or an Easter. And, you know, there it could have been a super lightly attended, but there was a bunch of people there today. It felt really good. And just thanks to everybody who was there. And thank you so much to you for listening to this. Hannah, tell us about Easter.
1: And in true different church fashion, we're not going to do a traditional Easter message. Last year on Easter, we talked about why was Jesus murdered, which is, you know, a very happy topic. Um, You can check it out on the podcast if you would like to. (laughs) This morning, we are going to kind of talk about the resurrection because it's related, but mostly we're going to talk about Mary Magdalene, who is the first apostle. So our passage of scripture for today comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. This is what it says. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that the Bible, like, throws shade immediately. It's like, Peter, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> he then stooped in and looked and saw the linen wrappings lying there, and he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived and went inside, and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. So far, these two guys can see. <laughs> the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Until then, he still hadn't understood the scripture that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary stayed standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. Or, I love to do, like, anytime you're reading speech in the Bible, just try it with different inflections. Because I feel like usually this message is like, Mary. (laughs) But was Jesus like, Mary. (laughs) Oh, Mary. (laughs) Just try it. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them his message. So a couple of things about Mary. I feel like she's one of the most misunderstood characters in the New Testament. First of all, her last name is not Magdalene any more than Jesus' last name is Christ. (laughs) Um, Magdalene is a, that just means she's from a town called Magdala, which was a place, so she's Mary from Magdala. It's located on like the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, so the top right, Jesus hung out up there a lot. That's how they would have run into each other. Poor Mary. (laughs) Her character has been so maligned by people in the church for like centuries of church history. And I find that most people, if they know anything about her at all, either think that she's a reformed prostitute or she's the woman of ill repute with the alabaster jar of expensive perfume that washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. Yes, that's a real story in the Bible. It's in Luke 7. It's a weird one. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that one today. We'll save it for another day. Um, but like, or Or she's both of them somehow. She's both of these people. This, the many sins, first of all, it's not fair to the woman with the alabaster jar. Her many sins, it doesn't even say what they are, but the many sins have gotten boiled down to the only sin that apparently the church fathers could think of, which was sex work, as if females were not able to permit any other sins. They're like, well, she, you know, she stole like a million dollars, but no, we couldn't think of that. Um, Her these became so attached to Mary Magdalene that like multiple artists throughout history have painted renditions of her like washing Jesus' feet with her tears and called it Mary Magdalene and if you just glance at the two stories I feel like any person with common sense would be like those don't seem like the same person because they're not scholarship on the subject agrees that Mary's reputation as a former prostitute absolutely not true Also, not the woman who washes Jesus' feet with her tears. In reality, she is a disciple of Jesus. Disciple means follower, and we usually think of Jesus having 12 men disciples, but there were other women who followed Jesus, and they were just as much disciples as the men we are familiar with. So she is first mentioned in Luke chapter eight, and it says that Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him, and also some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Chusa, does anyone care? (laughs) The manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, and these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, this is a very fun little verse. Mary is listed first among the women, indicating that she has a place of prominence. She's probably the leader of the band of women following Jesus. These women provided for Jesus in the 12, which suggests that they were well-to-do, respectable figures. They had all been cured of something, including Mary, who had been cured of seven demons. And we tend to get very literal with this because we're like 2,000 years removed. I don't want you to imagine that Jesus is like yanking seven literal demons out of her, like exorcist style. No, (laughs) no. Um, it's much more likely that she had some kind of significant illness that Jesus healed her from. Seven demons is a way of saying it was really bad and Jesus healed her. And she provided for Jesus and the 12 male disciples out of her own finances. She presumably was not married. Unlike Joanna, who's also listed here, Mary is not listed in relation to her husband or any male relative. She's just referred to as Mary Magdalene. That's kind of a big deal in Jesus' time. She had wealth that she possessed independently, not common for a woman in Jesus' time, and she distributed the money as she wanted to without any male oversight, also not common, practically unheard of. In first century Jerusalem, there were a couple of women that had like pretty big power and influence. Herodias, who was Herod's wife, was one of them. She's a fun side project if you ever just wanna look up a crazy person. Highly recommend. We are here, you have to go look it up, okay? Because I don't have time to spill the tea from 2,000 years ago. <laughs> but most male Jews still got up in the morning and prayed, oh Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's a real prayer from the time, by the way. I am not making that up. Can you imagine if I got up every morning and was like, dear Lord, I thank you that I am not a foreigner. I thank you that I'm not poor. I thank you that I'm not a man. (laughs) What? Mary, as a female, could not even legally testify in a court of law in Israel. If you think that's bad. In Florida, okay. Women were not even allowed to practice law until, like, the 1890s, and we weren't allowed to serve on juries until, like, 1949. Which, that doesn't even make sense to me. This is a tangent. But does it make sense to you that I could, like, argue a case and, like, defend plaintiffs? But still, men have to decide if they're guilty or not. For another 70 years, I have to get back on track here. (laughs) That was not in my notes. So we are not going to throw shade on people from 2,000 years ago for having their sad, sad priorities. But I really want you to think about the coordinated effort it has taken by the mostly male church lineage to present Mary Magdalene to this character as we know her now. She's demon-possessed by seven demons. She's a former prostitute. She's a lady of ill repute, whatever that means, who Jesus takes pity on. Modern scholarly consensus holds that all of that is incorrect. If we put that through today's standards, that counts as slander. Mary was a woman of significant financial means who exercised her power and authority in a society that actively tried to repress her. She was one of the benefactors of Jesus' ministry, meaning like one of the donors that made it possible. She was a disciple of Jesus, and she couldn't testify in a court of law, and yet Jesus chose her to be the first eyewitness of the resurrection. Do you see how revolutionary that is? There's more, though. I love her. When Jesus is crucified and dies on the cross, Mary Magdalene is expressly identified as one of the women who refused to leave. If it were not for her and a couple of other female disciples, there's a good chance that the men disciples would not have even known where Jesus was buried. It says in Mark 16 that Joseph of Arimathea took the body, wrapped it in cloth, placed it in a tomb, cut out of rock, and rolled a stone against it. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid, And Matthew and Luke underscore the same detail, that they were there. I suppose the guy disciples could have asked where Jesus' body was taken, but it does not say that they did. The 11 remaining disciples, 11 because Judas had already died at this point, scattered, ran. They were behind closed doors. This is not a knock on them per se, because they were much more likely to be arrested. So maybe wise (laughs) to run. But the fact remains that only the women stayed the whole time. They stayed until Jesus took his last breath, and then they kept staying, and they kept staying until Jesus was taken down from the cross, and then they kept staying, and they followed him until he was buried. When all four Gospels explicitly name Mary Magdalene as present at the tomb. And she's the first witness of the resurrection. Jesus promised that the last shall be first, right? We've all heard that phrase. Certainly that statement applied to women in the society that Jesus lived in. Mary Magdalene, like, holds the whole story together. Her movement gets the story going. She has the last word. Did you notice that Mary Magdalene is the last word in this passage, not Jesus? She sees Jesus, and I just imagine her, like, attack-hugging him because he's like, no, I can't breathe. (laughs) Don't cling to me, which I guess is old English for get off me, woman. (laughs) Go tell the other disciples, I'm ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. So Mary lets go. She sets off and she says, I have seen the Lord, which becomes the first sermon after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus designates her as the very first apostle. Apostle is a Greek word that like translates to a delegate or a messenger or a sent one. Mary, a woman, is the sent one, the first sent one. Jesus says, go and tell my message. It actually seems from other texts of the early Christian era that her status as an apostle rivals Peter's at the beginning. And then slowly we're like, no, let's never talk about her again. To, I don't know how else to say this, (laughs) to the men who have historically held power in the church, Mary is a woman who threatens the legitimacy of patriarchal control. And I don't spend every Sunday talking about patriarchy, but dang it! (laughs) I have the mic today, okay, so... The last, she was the last. She was the least of these, who Jesus elevated to first. Before we even get to the passage in Galatians that says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. Mary Magdalene is the actual first embodiment, the first proof of that principle that Christianity should have been built on. Any discussion of women in the church has to begin with Mary Magdalene. Why? She not a man, stayed until the bitter end when Jesus took his last breath and she kept staying until he was taken down from the cross and buried. She, not a man, was the first person at the tomb the morning of the resurrection. She, not a man, was the first eyewitness to the risen Christ. She, not a man, was the first preacher, the first apostle, the first sent one specifically commissioned by Jesus to tell of the resurrection. I feel like, why why are we not talking about this every year? At Easter. Now, please hear me. This is not to discount or minimize the very real impact and importance of the 12 male disciples and their steadfastness and bravery because they went out to spread the good news and they did change the world. This does not discount that, but there should be room for both should there not. Peter, the rock on whom Jesus was going to build this community of faith, right? He only knew of the resurrection because of Mary. In essence, the ground beneath the rock. (laughs) She's the apostle to the apostles. And I think of all the people throughout history who've tried to keep the essence of her story hidden, and I can only imagine it's because of fear. I cannot imagine any other legitimate reason. Fear that there won't be enough power, prominence, influence to go around, fear that there won't be a way to control the right teachings, fear that if more people are allowed a platform, then that means less space for us. Fear that their own positions in charge would be taken by the very people that they prayed so thankfully to not be like, Gentiles, poor, slaves, women. But if there's any truth in the Jesus story at all, we must acknowledge that Jesus' life is the opposite of those things. It is not. I feel like we get caught in a false dichotomy sometimes. We're not like, hey. Sometimes we're like, well, you know, there's enough to go around. People are like, there's not enough power, there's not enough prominence, there's not enough influence, there's not enough spaces, and on the other side of that, we're like, there is enough. A rising tide lifts all boats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There is enough space for everyone, right? That's a false dichotomy. To Jesus, it's not about any of that. It's not about power or prominence or position. Or control it's not about being in charge it's not about whether you were born to the right family or you have the right ethnicity or race or nationality it's not about how much money you have or don't have it's not about your gender it is about living a life of honesty and faith and hope and love it is about seeing whoever is the last the least of us and putting them first even if that means less for us it's about giving people whose society refuses to elevate chances, and not just chances, like actual commissions to be in charge, to go do something and change the world. Mary Magdalene goes to the other disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. She's not even preaching like a theological sermon. She's not quoting scripture. She's not writing an essay on the mechanics of the resurrection. She takes her own experience of the risen Christ to the other disciples. And I think what an example for our life as disciples. I think a lot of us got a weird indoctrination as kids where we had to try and save our friends or random strangers. That always went well. By telling them about Jesus' death and resurrection, we somehow got the idea that we need to point out the shortcomings of other people and tell them how wrong they are. And that that's good news. We have internalized that we are somehow bad and therefore is everyone else. I can't, literally, I was in a class in college, a church I interned at. They had an evangelism class. And we were given these like tracks. If you've been around church, you know what a tract is. It's like a little pamphlet that nowadays everyone would just throw in the garbage. But at the time, this is like before Instagram. It's like a little comic book about how you are going to hell. <laughs> That's literally the story, is the whole comic book is like, oh, you got in a car accident. Oops, now you're in hell. Sorry you forgot to say magic words to Jesus. You don't even know who that is? Too bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is dramatic. A dramatic retelling of a tract. <laughs> this is also not in my notes. <laughs> but in the class, they literally were like, hey, when you are talking to a stranger, you have to convince them that they have sinned. And I was like, well, how do you do that? And they're like, well, you ask them these questions. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. (laughs) If I say no, then yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever taken something that did not belong to you? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I forget. There was like four or five. I distinctly remember one of them. Weirdly, was exactly this quote. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? And I was like... Wait, I'm supposed to ask that? (laughs) Am I supposed to ask that to men and women or just men? (laughs) He didn't like that question. (laughs) And then you like essentially trap someone into admitting that they've done something, right? And then you're like, and see, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, you need saved. And apparently this worked, (laughs) question mark. (laughs) I was like, I'm confused. (laughs) I'm confused by this whole thing. We, this whole thing, I'm not saying, like, don't share your experience. I'm saying, what we are sharing, like, is that good news? Is it? We have somehow internalized that the same fear that we see in how the Mary story was interpreted, there isn't enough to go around. We have to save somebody. God is waiting to judge you. But none of that is true. None of that is sharing the good news. Have It is so strange that our evangelization practice has been largely based on how utterly bad we are and how basically Jesus got murdered because of us. Spoiler alert, that is not at all why Jesus was murdered. You should listen to the podcast from last Easter. (laughs) Shameless (laughs) self-promotion. How is that good news? It's not. We are actually, when Jesus says go and tell, what is the message that he told Mary to say? I have seen the Lord. Go share your experience of Jesus. Tell others how and where and in whom you have seen your living Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you seen the Lord? Where? Can you point to places even in the middle of your struggles where God has been present in your life? Y'all can come back up here. I'm gonna get real, before I get going. (sighs) We're not having brunch today because I'm going to preach for an hour. No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you. Have you seen kindness and gentleness when you expected rage and punishment? Have you seen hope and faith when you were surrounded by doubt and sadness? Let me explain further what I mean. I see the difficulty of everyday life. And I have seen the Lord. I see my anxiety trying to control my life, trying to take over my mind, and I have seen the Lord. I see churches full of people who are trapped in rigid beliefs about who's in and who's out and who would rather close their own doors and die than be accepting of people. But guess what I've also seen? The Lord. I see queer ones and straight ones who are full of questions about their worth and their value and their belovedness, who don't know if faith is even possible for them. But I have seen the Lord. I see children who inherently want to believe that God is good and created them good to do good and be good, but who are being shown a God of judgment and exclusion. But I have seen the Lord. I see adults sifting through religious trauma, trying to hold on to that little thread of hope in their souls that tells them what is dead can live again. But I have seen the Lord. Like I see all of you who choose to keep showing up, keep going, keep trusting, keep trying to follow God, to engage with God, to have a relationship with God, no matter what your past has done told you about what faith has to look like do you know what i see i see the lord where do you see the lord and if your answer is that you don't start looking because i can promise you that the evidence you are looking for is all around you just have to dig a little deeper Wait a little longer. Even after everyone else around you has scattered to the wind, has given up, hope is hiding in fear. Keep going. Go visit the tomb of the hope or the dreams or the promises or the faith in your life that has died. When was the last time you visited those tombs? Go look again you might find the stone has been rolled away. You might find that in the dark, in the quiet, in that space before the dawn, that you see a stranger who you don't really recognize, but who calls you by name and tells you to keep living. Go and keep trying. Go and keep believing. You have seen the Lord. You may have seen an empty tomb, Mary says, but I have seen the Lord. Despite centuries of effort, her voice cannot be silenced, and neither can yours. Let's pray. Mary Oliver wrote Every morning I walk like this around the pond, thinking, if the doors of my heart ever close, I am as good as dead. And every morning so far, I am alive. Loved ones, can you feel it? Wild possibility. The stones being rolled away from our minds, our hearts, our souls. We are waking up as if from the dead to a future where hope is the currency, not fear. Where all are provided for, All are accepted. All are loved and seen as they truly are. Where we go and make it so. (laughs) Bringing this faithful community into existence just as Jesus envisioned. Let us shake off our grave clothes and dance towards new life. For we have seen the Lord. Amen. Thanks for being here. Easter. Bye!